The Ryan Tuberty Show on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Centre Parks. Spot rare wildlife. Explore the forest and have endless adventures together. Uh, Catherine McCormick, good morning to you. We're joined in the studio by Catherine McCormick and we're going to bring everybody back for a moment, Catherine, to 1993. So Neve Cavan is there winning Eurovision within your eyes. <laughs> the Cranberries are releasing Linger. And this staple of Dublin City that you're involved in is yes. opening its doors for the first time 30 years ago. Dublinia. I always wonder, am I saying it right? Dublinia. You are Dublinia. Dublinia. And uh, Catherine McCormick, you're the assistant coordinator and mentor of living histories at Dublinia. Um, that sounds like a weighty title. It is. It's actually kind of, it's it's technically two jobs in one. So oh. I have the assistant coordinator where I teach archaeology primarily on our courses. We have a level mm. five and level six course. Um, and then the mentor of living history is looking after our very talented living historian team in Dublinia. So I make sure their costumes are all um, correct and accurate. I give them any extra notes that they may need and just keep make sure to keep an eye on that to make sure that they are um, just doing their jobs. <laughs> and that's the thing that everyone will remember who's been to Dublin over the last 30 years. Clearly I've been there as well. I brought my little sister years and years and years ago. And it really sticks in my memory having the living history guides are all dressed as Vikings and so on and you're in you're inside with the wattle and uh, was well, it? Wattle and dove, yeah. Wattle and dove, <laughs> yes. The weaving and all that. I sound very knowledgeable. That's why you're here to tell us. <laughs> um, but uh, to, I want to take a little step back because working in heritage is, is a bit of a vocation, isn't it? Why, why did you want to work in heritage? So... I wanted to work in heritage since I was young. I remember always loving archaeology as a child. I specifically didn't care much for history, though. Um, it was always the much older past. So things oh. like the Stone Age um, and then the Vikings, of course. So I kind of knew I wanted to do that from a young age. And then when I was in transition year, I was actually lucky enough to go to the UCD School of Irish Archaeology Um they did a kind of transition year program for a week and I was just hooked. And then I went back and did my undergraduate and my master's degree in archaeology in UCD as well. And you have Swedish background? Which I is... do. So my mother is Swedish and I was born in Stockholm. So she would always tell us when we were small, if we didn't want to get into the lake water, you know, are you a real, real Viking or not? Um, so we've always kind of been told that we were Vikings. But then when you actually study it, you're like, well, they didn't actually come to Ireland, though. They went the other side. <laughs> the Swedish Vikings. The Swedish Vikings, yeah. They mainly went over oh. to uh, raid the Baltic in and around um, places like Russia. Oh, fair, oh, fair play to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what Vikings did, did, did we get in Dublin? We primarily got Norwegian Vikings uh -huh. and some Danish as well, but mostly um, Norwegians. And we have a new exhibition at the moment, which is looking at the links between, specifically between Ireland and Norway. So we have some fantastic objects that have just been given to us um, on loan, of course, um, from the University Museum of Stavanger, where there's particular objects that were made, produced in Ireland and then were found in Norway. Oh, really? So okay. we know that they're trading, possibly raiding as well. Um, and, you know, a thousand years later, an archaeologist can find it and know, well, actually, that's a, a citric coin that was made and minted in Dublin. Wow, they were over and back. Um, I didn't know that as well as a museum, the Dublinia runs these training courses, which is neatly brings us to your job there now. So uh, what happens what, what happens in Dublinia besides what we see publicly? So upstairs on the fourth floor, we have a kind of secret room, which is our classrooms. And what we do is we have two different training courses. So we have a level five course, which is a culture and heritage studies um, programme. And our learners learn all about archaeology, history, folklore, um, 
communications, uh, customer service, and they kind of get a bit um, a bit of a background around all of those topics. And then they have a work experience placement with us. So they'll actually work in the museum as guides. And then we also um, have a really strong link with St. Patrick's Cathedral. So they'll uh-huh. also learn how to give guided tours there. Literally then, connected. Literally. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, that's Christchurch. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> My ignorance is, no, you're fine. Ignorance is really so, so it, it, it's, yeah, it's very confusing. Uh, so St. Patrick's Cathedral is the one um, a little bit down the road for us. And then they'll do external work experience. So they can choose to work anywhere that they have an interest, like Dublin Castle or we've had people go to Farmley, uh, the GPO Museum. And... At the moment, our statistics are very good that 90 to 95 percent of our learners will get employed in the heritage industry following our course. So if you're bumping into heritage people, the chances are they've come out of Dublinia. You could go to any um, major um, heritage site in Dublin at the moment and I guarantee you somebody has done our course. Wow. And the success rate is very high. And we also have one of the beautiful things about our programme is for a number of people who are on social welfare, there is a chance, depending on their qualification, um, their eligibility they could actually keep that um, funding going so they're still oh, getting their funding yeah. throughout the course as well that's so they're not idea. losing any money that's a very good idea um, why is it important when they're doing the, the training obviously in heritage that why is it important that they also you, you, you train them and get give them this experience as a living historian so I think living history is something that just makes us different as a museum so mm. usually when you go into a museum you're just looking at objects in glass cabinets you're not allowed to touch them you have to be quite quiet yeah. um, <laughs> whereas uh, and reading in, tiny plaques. Yes. Mm. Uh, whereas in Dublinia, it's a lot more personable that you have somebody who's literally dressed head to toe like a Viking. Um, they can actually tell you about the clothes they're wearing. You could even try on a Viking helmet. You can try on a costume. And it just elevates your experience. And especially because, you know, not everyone really enjoys reading off plaques. Um, we know like that it's an important part of, of, of a museum experience, but to actually, you know, hold a replica sword, um, try on a costume, it gives you a much more kind of tangible link to the past. And a lot of our living historians are trained craftspeople as well. Oh, right. So one of our living historians, Lloyd, has been um, fantastic at making replica objects out of antler. And oh. we've been able to source that antler from the lovely um, OPW in Phoenix Park. So the beautiful deer that you're seeing, we are yeah. taking some of their antler and making, uh, Lloyd is uh, they naturally making, shed they naturally antlers, shed. Yes, we so we're not getting them in any other kind of malicious way. <laughs> They're naturally true. shed. And Lloyd is then uh, recreating objects found just almost, you know, across the road from us at Woodkey. So, a customer can actually Very hold good. that object. And then our living historian, Heather, as well, is a weaver. So she's making replica Viking bands, wow. um, which are all based on actual finds in the archaeology. They're not just kind of made up patterns. We we specifically follow patterns that have been found. So you can hold a band that looks exactly like what somebody wore a thousand years ago. And that's, that's what incredible. just makes us different to other museums. That's very, very specific, isn't it? Yes. And uh, the wattle and daub. Yeah, so we have Wattle and Dob in our in, in our that's houses. I remember. Yes, yeah. um, and so you can absolutely you can sit in a replica Viking house, and it really does feel like a Viking house. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no windows; even the lights are a little bit kind of darker there, and you can kind of sit on a bench. And usually Heather's in there, so while you're sitting on the bench, she'll be able to show you the, the weaving that she's been doing. Um, and then we have other living historians. So, for example, David is one of our experts in weaponry, yeah. so he'll tell you all about the swords. <laughs> um, and then Francis is our expert 
in games. So Viking games like Neffeltafel, for example, which is a strange board game. Neffeltafel. Yes, it's a very strange. Oh, it's a Viking era board game. It is. Okay. And we have. Is we it have, any good? It, it, it's good. It's a bit confusing. Um, <laughs> but uh, Francis is our expert. And uh, so our customers can kind of get a, a sense as to what. Um, Viking games were like so it's not when we think of the Vikings we always kind of think of you know weaponry and warfare and it's all very bloody but a lot of Viking life wasn't like that it was a lot of being in the home and trading Mm. and playing games and you know like rearing children I'm I'm interested in the casting of uh, the living story (laughs) this isn't a picture or anything but uh, are you kind of looking for you know the the big 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 burly guys yeah big biker (laughs) biker lads uh, with tattoos I don't know if the Vikings had tattoos Uh, well (laughs) some Some of them did. Uh, So what was it? We're not specifically looking for people with um, like they don't need to look a certain way. So, for example, living history plays a very big part of our course as well. So, you know, we tell our prospective learners that when you join our course, you will most likely be dressed up. Um, But one of the things that I'm very passionate about is I will make sure that they get a role that suits them. So if I know somebody has an interest in weaving, I'll teach them how to weave, I teach them how to null bind. Or if they're... Oh, you have all the Viking crafts yourself. Yeah. Apart from Antler, I can't do that. Lloyd is is a specialist in his own right. There's only one. Um, There's only one Lloyd. Um, But yeah, so we make sure that they all kind of suit. So, for example... I mean, yes, if you are a particularly large, tall man, we may give you the, the role of a Viking warrior. And, and you're into swords. And, you can and you're into swords. Yeah. But we also are very... Calling um, all hairy, tattooed <laughs> bikers. <laughs> that was your chance. That was your chance. We're also very passionate to make sure that we have women as Viking warriors because we have new evidence to suggest that women were also taking part in warfare. Oh, we, so didn't, we didn't know this... We didn't have 100% direct evidence for a while, but now there's been new evidence from a site in Burka in Sweden, which oh. uh, shows that the very high status burial of what had been assumed to be a, a Viking warrior male has now been reassessed to be a female. So now we know ah. that there were definitely Viking women who were taking part, which we had kind of assumed, um, but we... We're, we're now starting to find more and more direct evidence in the archaeology, which is very exciting. I love that history has now become uh, more equal. Even it has, it was yeah. sitting there for the whole time. Uh, what about the building itself? It's a, it's a very distinctive building. Tell us about that. It is. So the building was purchased by the Medieval Trust um, in 1991. And it's a quite old building in itself. It was built in 1870 as okay. the Synod Hall. So this is where they would have held um, the... Uh, meetings of of clergy mm. but before that it was also a parish church of St. Michael of the Archangel and we still have the medieval tower that's still there so yeah. visitors can actually climb up it's 96 steps at the top but it's well worth the view you get oh, a 360 view of the city an extra little bit of history attached absolutely so we have the medieval tower and then we have the um, 1870 um, building which is in a very beautiful Victorian kind of gothic mm. style which who's, is attached to Who's the Medieval Church. Trust, by the way? They still... So the Medieval Trust is actually a non-for-profit uh, parent company of Dublinia. So they kind of came out of, um, as a reaction of the Woodkeep excavations that they wanted yeah. to be able to show off our heritage and specifically show off our Viking and medieval heritage. So they bought the property with the intent to develop it as a museum for the public. Which was really important because obviously we notoriously bulldozed and concreted over our incredible Viking heritage, which I'm sure you're delighted with as a student <laughs> of all of this. Um, uh, but there have been discoveries along the way, haven't there? Was it was Little Ship Street last year? Wasn't there a Viking Yes, so new, new new Viking sites were uh, were discovered in Ship Street. There's always new archaeology being discovered. It's and now a new gleaming museum. In, no, I'm joking. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hotel. Um, it is. Um, but 
I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't dig, you don't find. So mm-hmm. it is unfortunate that a lot of these sites will get covered over, but it does give the archaeologists the opportunity to learn about our past as well. Um, so it's kind of rocking a hard place with archaeology. You know, commercial archaeology is essentially driven by building, yeah. but also it's bad because buildings then cover the archaeology. <laughs> We should just uh, tear all of Dublin down and, and stare just, at the ground. And just start, start having a, a look and see what we can find. <laughs> uh, Dublin, it is a genuinely important thing, is it? Because the, yes. the, it keeps the whole thing um, quite literally alive, doesn't it? Yes. And nobody really remembers going into a museum and the, the little plaque they saw. No. But you're going to remember a fella dressed and to- to- talking about antlers and talking about the smell of Dublin. Yes. Uh, back in the Viking era. Probably not unlike uh, Dublin today in a, in a heat <laughs> wave. But uh, not, not, what, what's the typical day of your living historians like from beginning to end? So usually they'll come in, they'll get their kind of brief of the day. So a lot of our living historians are also our tour guides. So they may have a tour in the morning, which can either be a primary school group and they'll be dressed head to toe as Vikings. So the primary schools love that experience and they'll be brought through the exhibition or they could have maybe the start of their morning is just um, as a living historian. So they are just, you know, in one spot. So maybe the Viking longhouse or maybe they're upstairs on the medieval floor talking about medicine in the medieval period. So it kind of... Their day rotates of giving guided tours, um, maybe working on the welcome desk, but then primarily being a living historian. So in costume with their objects, ready to show the public. And, and we get them. to touch those objects yes. and put them on in some cases. Absolutely. Try them on. Feel the weight of a sword. Um, see Lloyd um, actually working, making something in front of your eyes. Same with Heather actually weaving in front of your eyes. It just makes a whole other experience to be in, in, in a museum. Oh, when you're holding that sword, think of the price of the insurance. Um, <laughs> for Absolutely. Random people come in. It's it's amazing. It's a great story. So it's thirty years old. Is there an official date or is there an official kind of party so for you guys? It's officially in June. So we're kind of ah. we're kind of celebrating our month of we June. We just started we've celebrating. Started the celebration, years. and to mark the celebration as well, we've uh, a new exhibition and on brilliant. display, which is all about. Um, very importantly, Viking women and the role of women. It's becoming more and more popular to study mm-hmm. women in the past. So we have objects on loan from the University Museum in Stavanger in Norway. Oh, brilliant. So this is this new discovery that you can go to enjoy. Yes. So we Germany. have some beautiful um, objects. And it's going to tell you about life as a, as a woman and the role of women and have some real objects on display to have. I can see you would have been a fierce uh, Viking, a Swedish Viking woman, but you would have gone Russia. Direction. I would have gone to Russia, but I think I, like with <laughs> with, uh, with, with my, um, fer- I'm very sensitive to the cold. So I think I would have <laughs> probably moved to Ireland pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine McCormick, it's been an absolute pleasure and well done to everyone in Dublinia and Thank congratulations on 30 years. 51551, that's our text number. Back after this. 